welcome back to the free lunch podcast i'm joined with um mark once again we just wanted to come back and and go over the israel-palestine conflict and basically you know give our thoughts on the whole situation over there and just to start i want to give like a little background of how i was sort of introduced to this back in you know 2016 uh 2017 when gal gadot sort of came on to the you know um, american entertainment sphere as a as wonder woman um in the dc universe um she was pro idf and she faced a lot of uh, backlash because of that and you know that sparked that was my first uh, introduction to this topic and basically what happened there was you know my understanding was very surface level and it was basically you know israel the idf is not very nice and Palestinians are being occupied in Israel and it didn't really go beyond that and then fast forward to May 10th the Al-Aska mosque is attacked and it was a sparking of like a little progress that came before it um, a flare-up that came before it and at the time it was obviously one of the holiest days of Ramadan and the mosque was one of the holiest sites for those who practice the Islamic faith. And why did Israel do this? Well, at the time, or at the IDF, I guess, at the time it was obviously they're gearing up for uh, Jerusalem Day, which is a celebration of the occupation of the West Bank or Jerusalem, which is essentially illegal according to um, uh, international law. Uh, Oftentimes Palestinians are brutalized prior or during the celebration to make room for the reactionary far-right holiday. And this, of course, leads to Hamas, the governing body of Gaza, to respond to the attacks with airstrikes and a back-and-forth battle ensued for 11 days. And the results are 240-plus Palestinians killed. Um, uh, at least 100, I think, are, from what I've seen, like I know 66 was a number of the children who were killed. I read, I think the BBC said um, at least 100 total were uh, women and Palestinian women and children. Um, and only 12 Israelis were killed um, by Hamas rockets, um, two of which were children. And of Israel and the IDF, of course, claimed that 200 of those Palestinians were members of Hamas. And obviously, at the time of this recording, um, it's May 25th. The two sides are in a ceasefire that began in May 21st, but uh, obviously there's still questions and curiosity of what's next for both sides um, and international bystanders, um, so to speak. And I was just curious of your thoughts on this, Mark. Did I get anything wrong in that intro as well? No, um, you know, those are are pretty pretty good timeline of events. Um, You know, I think, the the Israel Palestine um, conflict, or rather the Israeli occupation of Palestine, is is it's it's a topic that you know it it requires a lot of background knowledge, but you know um, it's really it's really easy to understand when you can pinpoint the historical similarities to places who have also experienced apartheid, which is places like South Africa, and and things of that nature. And you can kind of understand the struggle of the Palestinians uh, and how it's similar to the struggle of Nelson Mandela and the South Black South Africans, um, you know, uh, during their struggle uh, through the apartheid era. I mean, um, 
it's just it's a it's a crazy it's been a crazy couple weeks um you know during during ramadan um you know uh idf soldiers started firing rubber bullets at worshipers um at al-aqsa mosque which is obviously is the third holiest site in islam and all of islam um you know that come come forward to today um you had israeli settlers raid the al-aqsa mosque two days ago um with the help of the idf and they are calling for the de the demolition of that mosque um which is again the third holiest site which is comparable to maybe the the notre dame ca uh, cathedral in france when it burned down it's that's a pretty similar comparison um you know it's just it's been a crazy couple of weeks but you know when you can look it back into history you can really understand um you know how this was able to come about and it's through the um malfeasance and through the uh, uh you know the lackadaisical nature uh, of the united states and the united nations towards this matter that has led to 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 the genocide of, of palestinians so just to start off when you hear free palestine and like you see those hashtags and whatnot uh what does that what does that mean so essentially like a lot of um you know palestinian liberation uh, movement supporters uh they're not asking for anything outlandish um you know during the partition of israel and palestine by the united nations in 1949 um palestine was given the gaza strip and the west bank and israel got pretty much everything else um since then uh you know in in 1967 israel started occupying the west bank which contains jerusalem in it um within the 1949 resolution by the un jerusalem was split into four quarters one was a muslim quarter jewish quarter a christian quarter uh i don't know and the fourth one was a, i think a catholic quarter but um essentially you know in 1967 which started the first intifada which is a series of Palestinian protests to, um, you know, reject the occupation of the West Bank. Um, you know, you had similarly, the Israeli military also raided and uh, killed people at the Al-Aqsa Mosque back in 1981 um, during the first Intifada. And, you know, you've just seen a um, increasing amount of occupations, settlements on these lands so essentially the, the free Palestine movement is just to, and that, 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 that catchphrase and that slogan is to, um, you know, bring awareness to what's going on because it's, it's largely flowed under, uh, under the radar because of the support that Israel has from the United States and the Western world. Um, you know, not a lot of people realize that, you know, 113, 131 nations out of 198 in the world recognize the state of Israel or the state of Palestine because of the, um, you know, the overbearance of the United States in the United Nations. Um, you know, a lot of people just assume that the entire world thinks that Palestine just doesn't exist. It's just a group of people, um, you know, that are being oppressed. But, you know, it's the, the, the Free Palestine Movement and the Palestinian Liberation Movement has gone on for years, decades. I mean, I don't think it'll ever stop until, you know, another side wins or dominates. And, Right now, um, you know, it's not looking good for Palestinians at all. And, you know, you talk about 
you know, Palestine and this whole uh, genocide, uh, which is, I think we both agree that that's a proper distinction of this conflict. Um, you talk about how, how Palestine is, is gone on for decades, but I think we can bo also both agree that it's pretty relatively young of an issue, um, considering like there are Palestinians who live today who, um, who know what it was like back in the 40s and know what it's like to have their their area being displaced and and essentially genocide watching their family members pass away and and going through all that um but i wanted to talk about the actual apartheid aspect of it all and what it's like living in gaza um or living in the west bank or just being palestinian in in israel um a lot of people don't really understand like gaza is just a tiny little piece of of Israel, and it's a little bit on the on, on the west side, on the west side, right? Western, yeah, western coast. Yeah, on the western coast is about one point nine two million people there, and um, they don't have clean water. Um, they they're not allowed to leave. It's considered to be the largest open air prison, and um, the electricity there is obviously pretty shoddy. They don't get good access to that. And yeah, would you like to add on to that? Yeah. Um, so, you know, the Gaza Strip is essentially, you know, as you said, it's been labeled as the largest open air prison. Um, you know, fishermen aren't allowed to fish in the on the coast because, uh, you know, of the Israeli military. If there are fisher, fishermen, if there are boats out, out, out at sea fishing, they will get shot down and, and uh, those fishermen will get killed. Um, you know, 97% of the water is undrinkable, uh, as you can compare it to Flint, Michigan, you know, in 2016, 2014, you know, it's, it's, it's 10 times worse than you could ever imagine. Um, you know, during the carpet bombing of Gaza, the Gaza Strip in the past two weeks, um, they specifically targeted these water sanitation facilities, which, you know, there aren't a lot of in the beginning. And um, now we will see after the dust settles, just how bad, um, you know, these uh, facilities were bombed. Um, I believe 17 hospitals and clinics were bombed, um, including the only COVID testing center in the entire Gaza Strip and the entire Palestinian territory, uh, you know, as a whole, that one uh, was destroyed. And when you think of how uh, a couple months ago, we were just talking about how the uh, Israeli military was blockading vaccines sent from Russia to Palestine, um, which was only 2,000 doses, but it was being blockaded by the Israeli government. Um, just to think of how we are still in a pandemic. The, just because it's in another part of the globe doesn't mean that it's not happening. You know, these people don't have access to mass testing centers. Their hospitals are being bombed. Um, I just don't understand. I don't think anybody can truly comprehend how uh, horrific the, these conditions are until you are on the ground and you are realizing the true reality of these uh, situations and these stories. And yeah, it's just obviously one of the arguments that you'll hear from you know pro IDF or pro Israel folk is that you know why don't these people leave? Uh, you know uh, why don't they just? They're, these are people who obviously, like we said, it's an open air prison, they can't leave. Um, and then to the west, further west, it's just ocean. So um, 
and they can't really build any infrastructure either because it's being bombed to hell. And so for them, they sort of turn to, I think you would be able to probably better explain the whole Hamas situation and how they ended up governing that part of the uh, governing Gaza. Um, so I guess from the top, can you explain how Hamas came to power and how they were sort of implanted into the um, Gaza governing body? Um, so during the first Intifada, um, there were two groups that mainly had power and control um, within the Palestinian territories. One was Hamas and the other one was the Palestinian Liberation Organization. Um, Hamas is a right-wing uh, Muslim fundamentalist organization, whereas the PLO was more of a left-leaning um, liberation organization that, you know, went through nonviolent means, um, you know, had more structural, um, you know, cohesiveness within its organization. Um, but the, the reason and the, the way Hamas came to power was that the United States took an approach during the 1960s within the Cold War um, you know, they took a stance towards the Middle East, which said that they were going to fund the most right-wing um, Muslim fundamentalist organizations in order to stop the spread of communism. Um, you know, you can see examples like this in Iran, uh, in Saudi Arabia, and you have Hamas as well. And uh, the United States was also aided by Israel, who helped Hamas get to power um, within the Palestinian territories. So they essentially wiped out uh, the PLO in its existence, uh, you know, with Yasser Arafat leading the um, leading that organization, and right now, you know, it's so easy to just um, to label um, these Hamas, uh, you know, actors as terrorists, and you know, it's been utilized as a scapegoat for why um, the Israeli military is bombing hospitals, um, news or news media buildings just like the AP and the and Al Jazeera networks were bombed um, you know it, it's been given as a justification for the, the for the thousands of deaths of children throughout this conflict um, because quote-unquote Hamas were hiding in these buildings or you know these these buildings uh, contained Hamas you know safe houses or anything like that and you know we can all take this you know at face value and realize that these are bold faced lies. And, you know, we can realize that what's going on right now. And I wanted to talk about uh, what you said before, you know, when people say, why don't they just leave? Um, why, why don't they just leave these areas? Because that's how Israel wins. They win with the dispersal of every single Palestinian into the surrounding countries. That's how they got to power in the first place. That is why Jordan is filled with Palestinian uh, citizens who were um, who were you know ran out and dispersed from their own country uh, in the first Nakba or in the Nakba in 1948, with it, which included massacres on massacres of Palestinian villages, probably more horrific than anything we're seeing right now. You know, if these people leave the Gaza Strip, if they leave the West Bank, the occupied West Bank, that's how Israel wins, and that is their goal. Their goal is to car carpet bomb them out of existence. And, you know, you have these um, comparisons between the IDF and Hamas. Hamas is not a big military organization. They do not, is, they're not the fourth largest military like the IDF is. Hamas is a, <laughs> is a under, uh, under-resourced, you know, 
couple actors involved with it who are propelling rockets just straight up into the air. They don't have an iron dome that shoots rockets out of the sky like Israel does. Um, and, you know, they're just they're just showing their resistance. And the reason why they came to power is because of Israel and the United States in the, in the first place. And the, to compare the two is just like comparing, you know, apples to oranges or just like a lion and a gazelle. It's just it's it's nothing that you can compare. Um, and it's certainly not a, a uh you know, a, tr a true justification for why you are bombing children, hospitals, and news organization buildings. Yeah, and you obviously mentioned doing nothing and, you know, following the request of a lot of, you know, far-right arbitrators and demagogues will claim, like, if you listen to Israel or if you just listen to the claims of the IDF, if you just get out the way and, you know, do all that stuff, you'll be fine. But like, I think people need to understand complacency, you know, being able to just sit on your hands and do nothing. That is essentially eradication for Palestinians. That's where they lose. Um, it just goes back to the same situation with what America did to the Native Americans. You know, saying like, just move is like, that's, that's it for them. Like, telling them to just comply. That's, that's eradication. And you see what they have now it's they they have pipes running through their their very few um uh territories that they have left and they're still getting they obviously faced a genocide 200 years ago but they're still you know facing the aftermath of that and dwindling in numbers um and to hamas like if we don't want them to exist anymore if you don't want their leadership um i the the, the answer there would just to be stop bombing Israel so they can I mean stop bombing Gaza so they can at least put up some infrastructure so they could put up you know some sort of democracy or government so they can start governing themselves and figuring things out and you know just live peacefully which is ideally the the intention of people who are decent and to that we America plays a role in it as well um, by funding Israel um, obviously 38 million, 38 billion dollars. Um, I'm sure that number 38 billion a year, that number is something that you're familiar with. Um, what do you, what would you say about the government's role, American government's role in all of this? I mean, I think the government's role is, uh, it has played a, you know, it's played its part throughout the history of Israel, you know, um, the United States, along with Great Britain, who controlled Palestine in the beginning of this uh, entire ordeal, wanted a uh, essentially a puppet state like they had been doing within La throughout Latin America, Latin America's history. They wanted one in the Middle East, and so they set up a um, you know a settlement. They they split apart the Holy Land of Palestine which is, you know, which has existed for almost a thousand years before um, the Nakba uh, in 1948. And, um, you know, it, it's since then, it is, uh, the United States has funded the genocides, the attacks, the entire, um, you know, conflict that it's uh, maintained with Palestine and Palestinian citizens. I mean, Palestinian citizens did not ask for Hamas to 
you know, uh, you know, be a, a leading force in the in the territories. You know, comparing that is just like saying that you know ISIS at, at its peak represented all Muslim civilians. That's just not true. You know, Palestinians are just caught in the middle of these two conflicting uh, powers, and the one one conflicting power has the largest military ever seen on this entire globe uh, behind its back, and you know you see the 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 stances that the U.S. government takes, Republican or Democrat, because either way, this is would have this would have happened. This reaction would have happened whether Donald Trump or Joe Biden was in power. Um, and it's just it's not enough. Um, you know, you have Joe Biden uh, dodging questions from a Palestinian congresswoman, Rashida Tlaib, to her face, um, you know, uh, about her, about his stances towards Israel. Um, you know, Joe Biden has, has recently taken a step back and said, you know, we will rebuild. We will rebuild the Gaza Strip. You you let you know, you let that that territory get carpet bombed to hell and back for you just to say we will rebuild. That's not enough. It's not enough because you will never get back the lives that were taken, the children that were lost. You know, you will never get back the the homes that were destroyed, the residential buildings that were destroyed. Uh, you know, just to say, you know, we will rebuild. We will help rebuild the Gaza Strip because, you know, it's just it's it's a slap in the face to everybody everybody who has ever supported the Palestinian struggle um throughout its history and and the Palestinians themselves. Um, you know, the United States has always played a part in this. I don't know where this theory came from, from, you know, content creators or influencers on, on big social medias that, that the United States is somehow, you know, out of this ordeal that we that we don't have no part to play, that they have no part to play. But, you know, Israel is only as strong as it is because of us. And it's because of our complacency, because of our indifference to the situation that the that the ordeal has raised to the um you know to the significance it has been um it's just because of our 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 silence on this issue our um you know lack of care for palestinian lives that people are being taken every single day people lives are being taken in the palestinian territories every single day and i think i don't think america should be you know getting away with this as like sort of indifferent because obviously the funding of Israel in effect does give them the the firepower to do this stuff and and have this capability and sort of get away with it like Israel is a nuclear power and 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 have have this ability to, to sort of sit there in the Middle East unharmed and just genocide and the way they do it and the way through propaganda and obviously on our side in America the way Biden is framing and the way a lot of people frame it is like what you'll hear a lot is Israel has a right to defend itself. Um, and, you know, that's one of the first things Biden said in response to this. And sort of you mentioned like it wouldn't it would have gone the same way in America, whether, you know, the president was Biden or Trump. Um, obviously, Biden just gave a more uh, campy way of, 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 you know, representing the situation. Trump would have just sort of probably called Palestinians pigs or conflated Palestine with Hamas or something like that. Um, but how do you think we as um, individuals um, should sort of be pushing for a, a more proper response to the situation in Israel? 
I think, you know, I think every single liberation organization, liberation movement, um, you know, movement for change needs a strong base at the center, a base full of people willing to, you know, put their lives and body on the line for a cause. And by that, I mean, you, we, we as individuals need to be out in the streets mobilizing um, in support of our Palestinians, brothers and sisters. Um, you know, it, it's not enough to just, you know, sit back and, and watch and commentate on it. It's, it's, it's more of, you need to show uh, and put pressure on, this, on the institutions that are in power in order to get, gain any change uh, any sort of, um, you know, to show any sort of resistance to the to the government. Um, and, you know, I think as individuals, we need to adopt more, uh, you know, nonviolent approaches if we need to, which, you know, is, is perfectly um, shown within the BDS movement, which is a boycott, divest, divestment and sanctions movement, which essentially means that um, there are companies, United States and international companies that help fund the IDF, as well as the United States government. You know, you have Sabra, which is a hummus, uh, hummus, um, you know, company in Israel, you have Coca-Cola, you have um, SodaStream, all these sorts of companies that um, go unchecked and uh, help fund the uh, Israeli Defense Force by way of its consumers, you know, taking these sorts of nonviolent approaches to our daily lives, can, uh, you know, incorporating these habitual practices uh, to our consumer spending, you know, definitely will uh, strike the the pocketbooks of the IDF. Um, and, and the second part is, you know, putting enough pressure to on the United States uh, in order to, you know, impose sanctions on these, uh, on, on, on Israel, because it, it just seems like there will be no, um, you know, really retaliation from anybody if it's not uh the people within the united states and with sanctions like how do you obviously we have like a very serious zionist presence in our government like how do you see the government itself um detaching it you you think that's even possible detaching itself from um israel and sort of defunding what they got over there Within the current structure we have right now, I don't think there's any way to detach the United States from, you know, Zionists or Israel as a whole in, in within its governments right now. I mean, uh, I just, you know, it's 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 been ingrained in, in our foreign policy for decades at, to this point, you know, whether we had, um, you know, Barack Obama or freaking, you know, Richard Nixon, it doesn't matter who was in power. It, 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 the the position has been the same which is we support israel and uh you know zionism as a whole and um you know nothing will nothing will truly change unless you know there is a mobilization of people uh calling for the sanctions and the uh, boycotting of israeli companies or companies that fund the idf i mean nothing will truly change until those things uh, happen first i also think if to add on to that, like um, journalistic objectivity is something that's sort of, it's something that's sort of a situation that a lot of us have been noticing lately um, with the way a lot of, well, first of all, I wanna say like journalistic objectivity doesn't exist. Like I'm 
a journalism major right now. And I think when you work at a any sort of um, publication, you're always going to find that they have proprietors and, you know, funders who have a bottom line and they have an agenda to push. And whether that's, you know, neoconservative or just liberal, it's not, you're never going to get an objective product um, from um, a, a publication, even if it's like Associated Press, which we obviously saw with um, uh, one of their employees getting fired because she, you know, thought Palestinians were human. Um, so like with that, I think publications should start, or we at least who don't even work for the publication, we start pointing that out and, and, you know, just, I guess, same thing with mobilizing, just sort of pushing for these publications to avoid, you know, utilizing passive voice, avoid framing this situation as something, uh, as though like Israel and the IDF, um, our victims um, to 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 Palestinians. Um, you'll you'll often hear like the New York Times or the Associated Press or even the Washington Post. They'll always say like you know so and so um, Israelis were were killed, whereas these Pal- Palestinians um, sort of died. I don't even know. Yeah, they died. Yeah, they like so as long. yeah, as if they just there was nothing that that caused them to die. Is just it was sort of just through the wording it's it's like suggesting like it's a natural cause or something um but yeah it's just journalistic objectivity and and people need to realize like it it doesn't exist it's you're you're pushing a conservative or or liberal status quo in the end at at the end so i i just wanted to put that out there i think honestly um you know with with issues like this there should not be journalistic objectivity i think there needs to be people need to see your stance on the issue you know there there shouldn't be no both sides of human rights issues i mean it should just be one side is the right side and and we know we know which side is the right side which is you know palestinians deserve, deserve human rights and don't deserve to be carpet bombed you know and i think you know if if the littlest statement by a journalist calling palestinians humans can get you fired that truly shows the you know integrity of the publication as a whole you know, I th- she was part of the Associated Press, right? So, I mean, you know. Yeah, she was. Well, I was I was being hyperbolic. She um, she was a part of an organization that apparently was affiliated to Hamas. Like it was like the association was like it's like, an, you know, I know a guy who knows a guy type thing. But that's what I understand from it. That's my understanding as, as to why she got fired. It wasn't because, you know, of a. A conservative mob it was because they they saw that that organization had somebody who was somehow affiliated um with hamas right um i mean I but don't yeah know. at the end of the day I, I still think it's pretty funny that you know the associated press fired a a worker for for holding an anti-israel stance when they just got bombed in israel yeah it's it's pretty crazy just to think of that but... yeah and obviously, it, like I was like I was saying, like journalistic objectivity, it, it's it's not a thing. Ob- the objective stance here is is pretty clear. Like the Palestinians are being massacred; they're being genocided. Like this, this is genocide. Like there's no framing it of you know their Palestinians are just dying, or you know there's some equal response that 
Israel just had to take here. The Hamas rockets that they send, they're, they're basically fireworks and these guys are bombing the shit out of like residential buildings, infrastructure, hospitals, like you said, um, you know, you know, COVID testing areas. And it's like you shove somebody and it's like you they push you off a cliff like there's no equal response there. It's, it's just. Yeah. But I, I wanted to keep this brief. I just wanted to have you, you know, vent a little um, um, and hear your thoughts on it. Um, but is there anything else you would like to add? Um, just for if, if anybody's listening to this is like, you know, interested in, in what they can do. Like I, I did mention this before, but uh, adopting the BDS um, boycott divestment sanctions, uh, you know, lifestyle type uh, type thing. It, you know, boycotting these companies. I know it may be hard, you know, at uh, in the beginning, but boycotting these companies that, um, you know, commit these atrocities um, uh, by supporting the IDF, you know, the, the most you can do is to go after someone's pocketbooks and not go, you know, not, not go for, go for the kill. So I would suggest everybody to research, um, you know, everything you can about BDS, um, you know, forget everything you've heard about how quote unquote anti-Semitic it is, you know, at the end of the day, you are boycotting companies who support the Israeli military. You are not going after Jewish people as a whole. And I, I think that's one thing we, we forgot to talk about. It was, um, yeah. You know, anti-Semitism. Yeah. Inflating anti-Israeli sentiments to anti-Semitism as a whole, which is actually like a, a slap in the face to Jewish people when you can just, you know, label anything as, anything you say negative about the occupation occupational state towards Jewish people as a whole, which is, you know, it's, it's pretty concerning to, to think that that has become the mainstream talking point uh, for a lot of these arguments. But yeah. Yeah. And obviously anti-Semitism is a very real issue that's going on right now. in in areas like New York, um, we have a massive Jewish population here in America. And I think, Doing conflating, you know, Israel with a state consisting of just Jewish people is um, a poor framing of what's actually going on here, and it only helps, you know, right wing people and, and Zionists, and um, and it obviously leads to violence and against, you know, unknowing, um, unrelated uh, actors of this whole situation. Um, but yeah, it's just just like what Mark said. You know, BDS, I do encourage um, getting involved with that and mobilizing and, you know, participating and stuff like that. You know, donating if you can. Um, and yeah, just money is one way that can is one tool that you can use to sort of dismantle um, things like this. So that was a short podcast, I believe it was less than an hour. But yeah, that's our thoughts on the uh, Israel-Palestine conflict or Palestinian genocide. Um, not the most lighthearted topic, but I felt like it was um, something that needed to be explored. And yeah, that is the Free Lunch Podcast.